Welcome to another episode of the No Plain Views podcast with your hosts, Brandon Mintz and Harris Eisenberg. And we're coming to you here on Friday, November 4th, in what was a hectic week on, on the New York sports scene. New York football sort of takes a step in the wrong direction. The Jets and Giants suffer a couple of tough losses. And New York basketball was not great to speak either, but for, for some different reasons. The New York Knicks, sort of with on-the-court issues, going up against some contenders, sort of showed where they lie in regards to their place in the Eastern Conference, but it was the Brooklyn Nets that made the most noise this week, not only in New York sports, but in, in professional sports as a whole, really. And it was off the court for them and, and on the court, really. It, it was a good mix of everything for them that has them here as our lead story this week. And 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 we'll start with, we'll, we'll go chronologically, and that starts with the Nets firing Steve Nash. This sort of felt like something that was a ticking time bomb at this point starting with the offseason noise that Kevin Durant wanted Steve Nash out. And after a, a cold start, you could only assume that it was it was any day now where the Nets were going to pull the plug on Nash. And originally it came out that they, they agreed to part ways. They didn't phrase it as a firing. And my first reaction to that was, okay, the, the Nets by mutual, the, that means the Nets fired Nash. And Steve Nash said, okay, I'll leave and take my checks. But the more that has come out, it's, it seems like this really was actually more of a mutual situation than I originally thought that Steve Nash actually went to Sean Marks and just said, I'm I'm just, these guys are not responding to me and th- this just isn't working. And to be honest, I could sort of understand from, from Steve Nash's point of view with everything that's gone on in this organization since his tenure started, why maybe at this point he's just like, it's not working for the betterment of the organization. Just, just move on without me. And that is what they did. And, and since, and since that firing, the Nets have had even bigger issues than than the actual firing. They come out, and the report is this is not official yet, but they're looking to hire Ime Udoka as the successor to Steve Nash. As of this second, Jacques Vaughn has taken over as the interim, but it, you can't really make up the fact that the Nets and I, I guess without context, you wouldn't understand why the Ime Odoka hiring is so tone deaf, but now we'll get into why. And that is what has gone on in this just past calendar week with the one and only Kyrie Irving. It has been what to say this has been an absolute train wreck has been that would be putting it very nicely. And I, I guess a quick timeline of the events here with Kyrie. He starts by we'll call it promoting a film on his Twitter account that had anti-Semitic tropes in it that quoted Adolf Hitler that made statements that the Holocaust was not real. And there was immediate backlash from the fans in regards to that's not okay. And there was a confusing level of silence from the sport as a whole. There was nothing from Adam Silver. There was nothing from Kyrie. He was not talking to the media and there was nothing from the Nets organization. And that was not being taken well at all by by the by the outside of the league itself, by the actual fans, that was that seemed very not only is that tone deaf actions by Kyrie, but then for the for, for no one that it works for the NBA in any capacity to say something seemed pretty bizarre. And then finally a couple of days later, it the the Nets make a statement saying that Kyrie and the organization are gonna donate five hundred dollars to the anti defamation league and that they're gonna work with Kyrie in an effort to to be better. And 
I guess that was sort of what everyone was hoping would be the end of it. Throw some, in, from their eyes, throw some money at the problem and hope this all goes away. And it was the next day that this really all sort of took on its own, its own life when Kyrie in a media press conference totally failed to take, he says, quote, he said, quote, I take responsibility for my actions, but in the process of taking responsibility, he failed to, to apologize. And when asked verbatim, straight up, do you have any anti-Semitic beliefs? You would think the only first word out of your mouth should be no. And he failed to do that. He talked around the point as he usually does, finding a way to spin the narrative and just, he, he doesn't have it within him to really take full, I mean, acknowledgement of the fact that what he did is hurtful to many people and spreading falsehoods and, and hate speech. And that is when this really took on its own life because Adam Silver released a statement saying that he now needs to talk to Kyrie and the Nets actually suspended Kyrie for five games minimum without pay. And I think that was finally the statement that needed to be laid down by the NBA about this. It, I, would I have liked it to come sooner? Absolutely. Would I have liked it to sort of have been more based off the original actions that Kyrie did and not the fact that he then failed to apologize? This sort of feels like they're punishing him for the fact that he didn't apologize, not what he did in the first place. But with the way this week has sort of unfolded, I'll take I'll, I'll take some sort of actions by the league itself, by by the, actually the team. I got to give credit to the Nets organization; they handed this down, and and you got to appreciate that in a case that this is a team that is two and six and has fired their head coach, and this does hurt their on court product. We you don't have you can't lose in the midst of all this. This is a basketball team that is trying to win games that has Kevin Durant in the middle. It, it we'll call it the end of his prime, and taking Kyrie off the court is going to hurt what they're trying to do from a from a team perspective. So I I commend the Nets for better late than never stepping up and suspending Kyrie. And then I guess the last little leg of this, Harris, before I get you in here for your thoughts after I'm just done summarizing this entire debacle, would be that Kyrie late last night uh, put out an apology on Instagram. And I just find that interesting that it, it took him losing game tracks in order to finally apologize in an apology that I personally will not be taking at face value. I yeah. If you're telling me you had multiple chances to apologize all week for your actions and you refused to, and now all of a sudden there's a little bit of consequences and you're and you're and you're flocking to social media to apologize, there's no way you're going to convince me that that's genuine. And then the Anti Defamation League actually turned down Kyrie's five hundred thousand dollars because they they said they could not in good faith take this money that they do not believe is going for the right reasons. They clearly saw what everyone else saw which was Kyrie deflecting and not and, and and not apologizing in his first many opportunities to do so. And they're like, this this money is not here for the sole purpose that we think it should be, which is to fight anti-Semitism. We think this is throwing money at a problem, a bribe in some sorts, and they are refusing to take that money, which I think is which I think is good. Even though, of course, you could do so much good with that money, what does it really mean if that money is coming from a place of not, it's not coming from a place of good. So that's really where we stand right now. The Nets are down a head coach. They're in the process of potentially bringing in a new head coach, who although no one will deny his basketball acumen and what he did with the Celtics last year, this is a guy that's now on full season suspension with the Celtics for inappropriate workplace relations with a female. And that is really not, you would think a guy with any level of baggage would not be the guy that you try to bring in in the time where you're dealing with this entire Kyrie Irving disgrace. And... Uh, it just seems like the Nets, do they not get it? Are they that desperate to fix the on-court and hope that that makes the off-court issues go away? A lot to unpack there, Harris. I mean, let's let's get your thoughts. Well, I mean, I've said it for the last few seasons. The Brooklyn Nets are the ultimate boys club. 
they let stuff go on and they don't know how to handle it. And this is not a first time thing with Kyrie Irving. This has happened in every season that he's been a net. He disappears for games. He refuses to get the COVID shot and he asks that he gets asked by the media and he doesn't know how to handle it properly. Now this with the anti-Semitic acts on his Instagram or Twitter, excuse me. And it, it's not surprising to see this from Kyrie. I call Ben Simmons the, the softest player in the league. Kyrie could be the biggest clown in the league. It's just true. And my problem with it is, you know, we know this was going to happen from Kyrie. It's the way the Brooklyn Nets handle this as an organization to where I find it is just poor management. The NBA had to step in with a statement before the Brooklyn Nets acted on a suspension with Kyrie Irving. That is like a 10-year-old getting asked to go hang out with their buddies and saying, oh, hang on, I'll go ask my mother if I can. That is an embarrassment to the organization. That's the first. The second, nobody's there standing next to Kyrie to just tell him, hey, we pay you all this money. Just go out to the media with your stupid hat on and your face down to the cameras and just say two words. I'm sorry. So responsibility and I'm sorry are two completely different things. Responsibility does not mean I'm sorry, Kyrie. It does not. It's a disgrace. And it's funny because when the Ime Udoka rumors started coming out, it's like, it's just, it's just classic Nets. Like that is a tone deaf Brooklyn Nets thing to do. It just proves the point that the Brooklyn Nets are the ultimate boys club. They are a poorly run organization and on the court and off the court. And that's why this is a disaster. It's not surprising that Kyrie Irving is causing all this drama because it's happened in every year that he's been in that. Simple. No, Plain as that. I, I, I agree with everything you've said. I think this is something that it just seems like with the Nets year in, year out, there is something that, that, is, that has gone wrong. I mean, we're talking about a team that at one point had Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. This is a team that is shipped off talent like Karis Gilbert and Jared Allen and Spencer Dinwiddie and a team that's had now multiple head coaches in this little run here with Kenny Atkinson and, and Steve Nash. That's a lot of quality basketball personnel in one organization in a four-year span. This organization has not been to a conference finals in that entire run. I mean, it goes to show how just when even when you think it's all there, it something seemingly is there to pull it down. And for the most part, that has been Kyrie Irving. That that little that little uh that plot line you wait out there of, of year after year with what's going on with Kyrie. It was the missing games for, for who knows why three years ago. And then last year, the, the vaccine and now this, and like, this is just like, it's like the bow on top of like, okay, the other stuff was wrong, but at least it wasn't hurting people. You know, like if you're just going to not show up, you know what, do what you do. You're hurting the basketball team. The whole vaccine thing, again, that hurt the basketball team. That wasn't going out there and, and hurting the lives of others. What what this was was he was he was spewing hate speech for a, a population for a guy that claims that he is a beacon of light and someone that is so knowledgeable. I mean, you you would think he would be smarter than to to promote a movie that not even at a minimum. I I won't even go out there and say that he doesn't believe what he was saying. I, like I, I genuinely couldn't say that he doesn't. I, I don't I don't know what he's what's in his mind. I don't take that apology as as, as sincere at all. 
So I really don't know what he believes. But at a minimum, for a guy that just says he's so wise, you would think the movie would at least spell Adolf Hitler's name right. That seems like an important detail. Or or, or the quotes of Adolf Hitler would even be real. To- totally made up false, false quotes from a guy that I would say has been pretty quoted over the years. So I, I just feel like Kyrie is a guy that he thinks he's, he just thinks he's so much higher and better than everyone that it, it took action to be able to get to, to pull and just squeeze an apology out of him. That was never going to come from his own on his own. You'd have to be crazy to think that that was going to come under his own volition, that he was going to apologize for something that he did. That's crazy. And th- this, and this is where we are now. And we'll see how long this suspension takes. I mean, are, are the Nets going to in five games? They said that it, the statement speaks to how that he needs to meet an adequate level of, let me read it here, right, from the statement from the Brooklyn Nets. Um, we decided that Kyrie will serve a suspension without pay until he satisfies a series of objective remedial measures that address the harmful impact of his conduct, and the suspension period is no less than five games. Is that five games? Is that two weeks? Is that is he done as a Brooklyn Net? I, I guess we'll really, we'll see, but it, it took a little too long for my liking to get to this point, although at least we are here, and there are being... And and he and he is gonna have to pay for what he's done. And and to be honest, yesterday was the day where I mean he sort of got it coming from all angles. That net statement, I don't know if you read it in full. Yeah, I got they, it right here. That was a that that was not a brush it under the carpet statement. I mean, we are dismayed today. They said about Kyrie not apologizing. They do not believe he's currently fit to represent the Brooklyn Nets. Those do not seem that does not seem like language that you would use on a guy that you're sort of hoping to ingratiate back into the organization at the end of the suspension. The ADL coming out and and I mean, think about that. $500,000, even if it was not in good faith, that's a lot of money and that could do a lot of good. So for them to turn it down speaks to what they think of that just absolute disgrace of a press conference yesterday. I mean, it's it's crazy. It, it is absolutely nuts that this guy keeps finding his way into the the public sphere for stuff that's just always negative. And this has just been at the highest level of that with pr- pr- promoting anti-Semitic beliefs. It is disgusting. It is uh, it is disgraceful at the highest level. I now, I, I leave myself where originally when it, it just went ghost mode, the whole Nets organization, you know what? I wasn't the biggest fan of the Nets as a basketball organization. When I talk about stuff on here, dislike, hate, that's all from a sports lens. I'm not a big Kevin Durant fan from a sports lens. The Nets organization, I'm a Knicks fan. The Nets came in, they sort of stole those stars that I thought I, that we're going to be Knicks at one point. I, I didn't like the Nets organization from a sports lens. It's all sports related. And I was really getting to the point where the, the Nets organization was now going to have, it, I was going to view that it, it's, it's, this is personal. And I now, this is more than sports for me. Why I, I will now actively root against this Nets organization. But at least I, I feel like now that has sort of been alleviated by this statement and these acts. I at least feel like there's some sort of, they, 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 Someone, whether it's Joe Sy or Sean Marks, someone had their brain turned on and was like, okay, this does cannot fly. And they actually took some legitimate actions against it. But it's Kyrie to me that I, I don't think I, and I think I speak for many Jews and probably Nets fans out there and probably just people in general, I'll never support Kyrie Irving again. And that is not as an athlete, that is now as just a person. Like I, I cannot, I'll, I'll rephrase what the what the AD, ADL said. In good faith of just like, being a good person, besides the fact that I'm Jewish, like just from from humanity standpoint, like 
support this guy because he needed to have he he needed to have it dragged out of him just to say I'm sorry. Like where like where is your where's your empathy for people? It, it's just it, it was just so sad to see, and this week has just been so frustrating. So I'm glad we got this out here in the front of the show and just get it all get it all out get this behind us. But it, it's it's just it's disappointing on many levels and. And we'll see what the future holds for Kyrie. And now this Nets team, that seems, from a basketball standpoint, they find themselves in a tough spot with a head coaching situation that's in flux. And and now on the court, it's once again, it's it's KD and the rest. Yeah, and look, as someone who is Jewish as well, it's it's you you can't root for Kyrie Irving as a human being. There's there's several points I want to make, and I want to bunch them up because we've talked about this for a long time. I mean. How tone deaf can you possibly be to say something like that in Brooklyn, where there are probably the biggest Jewish communities in the uh, in the United States? Now, I just want to, like, one quick thing, just to for context purposes. I he technically didn't say anything. No, he, he did never not say said out of his mouth anything that was being promoted in that film. Now, what he did do was he liked that film. And by and by doing that, you are bringing that to your millions of followers. And in that, in, in, in essence, that is a form of promotion. You are saying, look at this. You are bringing eyeballs to it. And when the eyeballs are going to see things that are blatantly false and hurtful to a community, that is not okay. I just, I, you said, I just wanted to clear that up. He did not say anything, but the point still stands, of course. Yeah, and Kevin Durant said something, I think it was this morning, where it's like, you know, the media made it a big deal. Yeah, the media is supposed to make it a big deal because it's New York, and that's what you got yourself into. And the difference between the Nets and the Knicks organizations, as you were kind of alluding to there, Brandon, is this. When's the last time something like this drama-wise off the court happened with a player on the New York Knicks? Can you recall the time? Because I, I, I really can't. I mean, You would probably know better than I would, but... Yeah, I mean, from a, a perspective of hate speech... I can't say I remember one, and I would like to think if that happened with the Knicks, there would be swifter and more severe action. But I mean, like, I'm not going to go out there and say, oh, yeah, the Knicks are this perfect organization with no drama. I mean, that that's that's not true, but it typically is more from a basketball lens. Yeah. So my point is this: there is no drama with people posting things on social media and saying things to the media with the New York Knicks because the New York Knicks no matter the mediocrity that they've gone through on the court, are still a first-class organization that know that they represent New York. The Brooklyn Nets, all they clearly care about is going out there and finding guys to try and win basketball games. There is no empathy for anybody. It, it's, it's really disgraceful what they're doing as an organization as a whole. And for someone who just came from working in a big league organization, you get trained on this stuff. Like, just know better. It sucks to see it. I mean, a 30-year-old a human being that is just drama-filled, and it's sad because we said it last year, look at the career that Kyrie Irving could have had if all the off-the-court stuff was just thrown away. It's sad. It is. It is sad. And now it's just like, you, I want to give credit to the Nats for what they did, but then it's like you're going to bring an email Udoka, and like that's just such a slap in the face to everyone. They had it's to like, have the NBA come in first before they made the suspension. Yeah, I mean, that's that that bothers me the most. I think of all of it. I mean, well, 
I mean, the Nets suspended him. The NBA didn't. So I get right, I mean, but the NBA made the statement first before the Nets had to come out and 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 take action for it. Right. The NBA was like, well, I, I think in in order it was like it was the Nets' first statement with the like they're going to give the money, and then it was like the NBA was Adam Silver was like, okay, like this is not working. Like we're going to have to talk, and then the Nets. It was after that press conference yesterday morning yes. is what just it was throwing gasoline on the flames. That is what it was just like. This dude. I mean, you said it before. You don't even have to mean it. Put your head over your, your hat down over your eyes so no one could see your your smug little face and say, I'm sorry. You don't even have to believe it. You could have said it and this whole thing could have went away. But you're so ignorant and uninformed and narcissistic that you couldn't even do that. So that's where it stands. We'll see if this whole Udoka situation actually comes through. I mean, it's not like there aren't established, credible, respected NBA head coaches out there available for hire that could actually bring a little bit of stability to a situation that has not been stable since this entire this entire era started. I, I mean, Quinn Snyder is available. Guys that we've seen, Mark Jackson, Jeff Van Gundy, I don't know if those guys want these jobs, this job, to be fair. But I have a hard time to believe that one of those guys, there, there's, there, it's not like there aren't plenty of previous NBA coaches that could at least bring this thing together and and maybe try to get the most out of this team the rest of the way. And we'll see. Again, I'm not saying Udoka is not fit for the job itself because he definitely he definitely is from a basketball standpoint. We saw what he was able to do with Boston last year, but it's almost just like you feel like how do the Nets continue to make these decisions knowing the way it's going to look from, from the outside? And maybe they don't see it. Maybe they just think, okay, like they'll, they'll appreciate us bringing in the best basketball guy. But I, I don't think bringing in a guy on full year suspension for questionable relations with a female inside the organization was the way to go here. But that's what the decision that it looks like they're going to make. Nothing official yet. But this next season's on the ropes, no? I mean, they're two and six. Who knows? Could Kevin Durant really step up here and again make his trade demand and but a little more put a little more pressure this time? I mean, who knows? It's it, it's uh, not pretty. And now everyone's favorite net Ben Simmons is hurt. So it's, yeah. uh, you know, oh, he's going to miss two games. He's not even going to travel with the team. That's dope. But, I mean, that's just a disaster. It's a disaster what's going on with the Brooklyn Nets. And, you know, thinking back to our Eastern Conference picks, I'm actually kind of surprised at myself that I didn't pick them just a little bit lower because I, I just had a feeling that something was going to happen. Uh, and, you know, we'll see how that all shakes out at the end. But, again, can you bet against Kevin Durant? No, but there's no Kyrie for right now. There's no Ben Simmons for right now. The rest of the team has struggled. There's no head coach. Boys club. Yeah, they can never be. You can't write them off. No. Kevin Durant is still employed by this team. Like, Absolutely. Like, you cannot write them off, but it, it's it, it's been term tumultuous, and yeah. we'll, we'll see if they're able to pull themselves out of it. I mean, I can't say that I feel great that they will because this is – I mean, they've just dug themselves in a hole now – basketball wise and off the court that it's just, I, I can only imagine the conversations going on in that locker room today. And I, like, I feel like Kevin Durant is just at a point where he just doesn't want to deal with this anymore. Like he's the most professional superstar on that team, obviously. And it, it, he doesn't want to deal with this. He didn't and, sign and up to play with Kyrie Irving for this. He's the most professional superstar on that team. And that's a guy that that's had burner accounts yeah. and, and has done his fair share of questionable things right? when it comes to basketball. So that's, that, that goes, I tweeted this yesterday, and I just found it interesting. Like Kevin Durant, whatever, he went to Golden State after getting knocked out by them in that playoffs when he was with the Thunder. And in my mind, that was the weakest move I've ever seen a player make since I've followed sports. I've never seen a weaker move than going 
to an established team that just won 73 games that knocked you out. And you're like, you know, I'm just going to join them and call it a day. Like that to me was just so beyond weak from a basketball standpoint. And he, whatever, he goes there, he wins two championships, gets his two finals MVP is great. It, it's crazy that even the even more mind blowing decision was leaving that situation. You left a team, a fantastically run organization with structure from Steve Kerr as the head coach to Steph Curry as the star, the co-star in this case, in the middle, in the midst of a dynasty, the team up with Kyrie Irving. And since then it's been nothing but headaches. It's been nothing but early playoff exits. I, I mean, that is going to be, when we look back at just careers for, for the all-time greats, which Kevin Durant is clearly, I mean, he's already there and he's on track to be in, in, in a pantheon of NBA players, NBA scorers more specifically. That's going to go down as an all-time blunder, weaving Kyrie Irving, for, weaving Steph Curry for Kyrie Irving, no? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. I mean, you go from an organization that is all basketball. You don't hear a thing. You don't hear a peep from Steph Curry. You don't hear a peep from Clay Thompson. Yeah. Draymond Green punches his teammates, but you know what? He still wins championships, but <laughs> there's just, it's no end here. New York is clearly a place that, you know, only the very few can handle. And, you know, these guys have gotten themselves into drama. I'm not saying Kevin Durant has gotten himself into drama here. He certainly has, but clearly not as much as Kyrie. But it was clearly a a poor decision there. And I agree with the leaving OKC. It was absolutely weak. And, and this one just kind of cements that his decision-making was just dead wrong with this decision to come to the Nets uh, three and a half years ago now. And, and I think that is where we will leave this Nets conversation at. I think we've given enough breath to, to Kyrie. And to be honest, I really hope now that this comes down to the fact he's going to serve whatever the suspension is, and then this could just sort of be over. I hope now the only stuff we hear from this is the positive things that come from this, whether it be the Nets $500,000 donation to the ADL and hopefully the steps that Kyrie takes to get better. But like, I just I want all of the the negative light that's coming out. I, I just hope this was like, I hope the suspension and the apology is like the end of that. And now we could just move forward because, like, honestly, it's just frustrating to hear, and I'm, I'm, I'm frankly done with it. So I'm glad we can move on there to now some teams that we also don't have great things to say about, but at least it's due to the on the field play. And we have to start here with the New York Jets in a game that we said was so important from the light that New England is a team that has owned you that you have not beat in many, many years. And you had a chance here at home to really exercise some some demons of Jet Past. And and that just frankly did not happen. I mean, this game, man, was so winnable. The Patriots did absolutely nothing that made me think, wow, how are we going to keep up with this? How are we going to stop this? And we felt, it almost felt like we were rocked into a trance that was like quick drives, punts, letting the Patriots eat some clock. And it was just like, we got absolutely nothing going. And, and to be honest, from besides the one, obviously everyone's going to look back at that, that John Franklin Myers penalty that negated a pick six that we, we can't deny how huge that was. You, you picked that, that ball gets picked off and ran into the end zone with no flags and it's 17 to three. And you sort of feel like you're on cruise control the rest of this game. But Franklin Myers commits a roughing the passer, something I feel like it's those roughing the passer. It's those selfish penalties from pass rushers that have been killing the Jets this year and taking away big game-changing plays. But if you watch the game, that lone incident was not the reason why the Jets lost the game. This one was all on Zach Wilson. And 
we were going on and on last week about how without Brees Hall, this team is going to need an offensive spark. And where's that going to come from? It's not going to be James Robinson and Michael Carter. Those are nice running backs that will give you something. But the engine of this Jets offense now is going to need to go from the run game to the passing attack. And that is Zach Wilson. And in his first big test against the Bill Belichick defense that made Sam Darnold see ghosts a couple years ago in a big divisional game here at home, Zach Wilson fell flat on his face. And he showed everyone what Jets fans have known to be his fatal flaw for years. And that is the inability to read when a play is dead and then dispose of the football in a way that does not result it in the other team's hands. And it was time after time, drive after drive on Sunday that Zach Wilson turned what should have just been throws out of bounds. I mean, there's a dip, even if it's a third down, I mean, you, the field position in this game, I think what I heard was that the, the Patriots' average field position to start drives in this game was the best from their perspective. It was it was the best field position of any team in any game this year. I mean, they were start. I mean, half they had three instances where they got to start the, the drives very in great field position just due to the three interceptions Zach threw, and then you throw in a shanked punt here, some bad kicks, and it was the Patriots were just starting the ball. Whereas the Jets were starting within their own twenty every drive. The Patriots, it was one, it was one first down, and we're already on the Jets side of the field. It was unbelievable, and Zach's decision making was a huge part of that. And it's got to change. There's, you're not going to win NFL football like that. It's just not going to happen. I don't know whether he felt he probably felt a little extra pressure with Brees gone, and he probably felt that this was his first chance. Okay, they're taking the training wheels off. Let's do this. Let's show them what I'm all about. Number two pick. I got this, and it blew up in his face. And it's been the one thing that I would say has, I, I have I ever I've never once worried about Zach's arm talent. That is there. If you watch him throw a ball, you you know the arm talent is there. He can throw from different angles. He has good zip to his ball. He can throw the thing deep. His mobility is there. One thing that I give Zach credit for is, I mean, whereas we felt like we had a statue in the pocket in the first couple weeks with Joe Flacco, I mean, Zach does not take sacks. He has a knack and an instinct to avoid the pass rush. He is great at getting out of the pocket and really not taking those big negative plays. But what comes with that is then you have to be able to realize when, okay, I I dragged this play on long enough. I just got to chuck this thing out of bounds. And two of Zach's picks, one of them was rolling out toward the sideline in a ball that looked like he was trying to throw it out of bounds. The It doesn't get out of bounds, and the guy keeps his feet in bounds, and it's picked off. And then the other one was a classic case of hero ball where he chucks a ball in the four-on-one coverage on Tyra Conklin. And it just sails over his head and ends up in the arms of a defensive back where he was the only one within five feet of the ball. And and it's just like, you're like that, like you, those are game killers. That is never going to fly. And unless he changes, you know, it's hard because he's a second-year QB that in reality, due to injuries, he's really played roughly a full season of football. But it's games like that that make the fan think, is this the guy? It, and, and you can't blame him. It, I mean, that was a true tour de force of putrid and game-wrecking decisions. And, and I guess we'll see what comes out this week. Now it doesn't get any easier. You're facing the Buffalo Bills. But this entire, all I took out of this game really was that the Jets have a roster that's ready to win, but their quarterback is not at the same level. Yeah, you know, I I could agree with you 100%. I understand why the fans are hard on Zach Wilson. There's a positive way you can look at it and say, oh, like, you know, it's maybe it's the first time or second time he's really done it this year to give him a break. But no, you're at MetLife with a chance to beat a, a Patriots team that you need a divisional game. That's on him. Those two interceptions that you were talking about, by the way, both to Devin McCourty 
And the fact that Zach Wilson, it, it, it was a head scratcher because it's like, who was he throwing the football to? And, and it didn't even look like, yeah, he was looking like he was trying to throw it out of bounds. He literally threw those two balls right in the arms of Devin McCourt. He didn't even have to move. That's why it was so painful to see. And really, the the I guess the laughable part of the game is that the the leading, I guess you call it, you could say one of the offensive players of the game was Nick Falk. I mean, what, Ugh. he kicked three or four field goals maybe? It's a credit to the defense. Yeah. They bended, the defense they was break. spectacular. The third down stops that they got, especially close in the red zone uh, on some plays in the first half. And then the second half, you know, those field goals were, were some long kicks that Nick Folk had to make. He just knocked them down. You got to give credit where credit's due. But the Jets defense, no knock on the Jets defense here in this game. They were really good. It, it, this, this was 100%. You're right. On Zach Wilson and the decision making, you saw it in his post game presser. He was really frustrated, and you hope that account accountability, you know, carries over to upcoming game against Buffalo and the rest of the year. I don't know if it will because Buffalo is obviously a dominant football team, but we'll see. You just hope Zach Wilson could be accountable, like I thought he was accountable in the post game presser, and we'll see what happens coming up this week. But that was all on Zach Wilson. I still give credit to the defense and have full faith that the Jets' defense is exactly where they need to be. And you got to think about that with what comes with good field position is that the defense is being put in the high pressure situations every single time they're on the field. And and for them to step up there and, and then keep this even a game, I thought was it, it just shows the serious, legitimate defense that Robert Sala has put together there. And and one narrative that was going throughout the week was at any point, did you consider pulling Zach Wilson from the game? Is Zach Wilson the guaranteed starter for next week? And at one point, I was thinking, like, maybe Zach should just sit down for the rest of this game. Like when it got to the point after that third pick, like you're not ready for this. You're still like, this isn't a punishment. You're still our guy, but like, you got to sit down and see some things from the bench for the rest of this game. But I liked what Robert Sala said in regards to that when he said, if we're going to find out if Zach is the guy here, we're going to need to see how he responds to adversity. We're going to need to be able to see how he's able to bounce back from the poor decision. And and I, I think that made me feel better about weaving Zach in there and just totally denying any possibility that Zach's going to be pulled out of games here due to due to interceptions, we'll say. So I, I think that at least sets it up that, that you're keeping that confidence in Zach. And I think that is something we need to see. How is he? How, what, how quick is his memory? How fast is he able to turn the page and go out there and make the next play and not worry about the last play? So I think that is definitely, that, that's a that's a good way to look at it. But that that's, I, I mean, that game, that is just a killer game because now we have the Bills and all of a sudden, what was a great, well, still, I mean, it's still a great start. Don't get me wrong. They're they're still five and three, but you were sitting at five and two, and you throw, and all of a sudden you throw away a game that you should have had. And now the Buffalo Bills do what they do, and you're five and four, and it's slowly but surely you're you're feeling the ramifications of not having Brees Hall, not having Elijah Vera Tucker, and it's all sort of coming back to light here. What? All right, now now we got to see. It's, we're five and four. The playoffs. Where how are other teams performing? You start getting a little nervous about this slipping from out under them. So I don't want to admit like this was a big big game to have i mean it was almost like we saw the antithesis of zach wilson in this game which was mac jones you never feared that mac jones is going to make the big play that was going to sort of just light up the field and, and set up new england but mac what mac jones doesn't do is he does not make the crucial mistake he he keeps the ball in his hands he does not turn it over it's like that's the exact opposite here with zach wilson you have the highs of all high and the low of all low whereas with mac jones he sits you right in that middle ground and we saw how that just led to for, for this Patriots style of offense that does not really have big playmakers, and they just uh, they try to have long sustained drives. 
Mac Jones is the perfect quarterback for that type of scheme. And the numbers really dictate what what I'm saying there with how Mac Jones is able to just keep that ball and and sort of just sustain offense. Time of possession, the, the Patriots had the ball for 35 and a half minutes where the Jets only had it for 24 and a half. The Patriots had more first downs. The turnover ratio, we obviously know it was three to one in favor with the Jets turning it over three times. And total yards, the Jets had over 100 more total yards than the Patriots. But when you're holding that ball and you're just putting in points drive after drive, it doesn't matter how much you're moving the ball up and down the field, but if they're consistently scoring and not setting the other team up, that's what prevailed in the situation. And and it was a uh, and it was one where where Zach is going to need to really own up to this. I mean, he's been taking it all over the place. I mean, from the national media this week with ju- just just grow up and and it's not all about you type narratives where he's got to sort of wean into 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 the team more than more so than thinking that he could do it all himself. And, and I think the Jets are a case for that that. That, that is true. It's going to need to be a, a group effort, especially when you're down your most explosive offensive player that we know we had with Brees. And and I'm very interested to see how now here's – if you thought the Patriots were a test, oh, boy, because the Bills got another thing coming. I mean, this is clearly the class of the NFL. They allow the least points, they, the average points per game to opposing teams, and they have an offense that is absolutely explosive with Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs. So we, we'll see what – this brings, but I mean, all eyes are going to be on Zach this week because you know, if if this if he makes that boneheaded turnover that has seemed to just get Jets fans ready to yank him out of the games himself, th- this would not be a good good timing for that. We're really going to need to see Zach buckle down and and play a tighter brand of football. We don't need to see the big play. We want to, but we don't need to see the big play from Zach Wilson. We need to see the right play, right? Mac Jones, as you alluded to, is really to me he's a pro like he is a pro quarterback he i thought he managed that game really well and he made he moved really well with his legs i think zach wilson i don't know what his rushing yards were this past week but i don't think they were very high because i was going over the highlights right before we got on uh to record and i didn't see much running from zach but you know maybe that's just a style but again it sucks for the guy because it's really one game that he's done it this year but the expectations are high because you're a five-win football team against a winnable Patriots team, and these boneheaded plays cost you the game. So, you know, there's only so much expectation you can have going against Buffalo with Zach, but you just hope he just makes the right play and keeps the Jets in a game. And maybe he gets the chance to possibly win the game, but it's all about making the right play for him. We we got to be smarter here. That's what it's all about. I mean, Zach was sort of it, – it felt like Zach was too busy rolling out left and right, right. than being able to run forward because right. the, the pass rush is always there. And credit to Zach. He has a good way of eluding, eluding up oncoming defenders, and that's a good thing. But you can't then negate that positive trait with the negative trait that is once you avoid the defenders, you're turning the ball over. That is a net negative. So you can't be doing that. I mean, when when you look at some other guys, I guess not, not Zach Wilson related, just to touch on a couple other guys. Garrett Wilson had a really nice game. Six catches for 115 yards. It was nice to see him really get back involved. I mean, with no Corey Davis, we knew someone was going to need to step up, and and Garrett Wilson did that. I mean, we have Denzel Mims sighting. Who would have thought after all this? Denzel Mims, he only had two catches, but for 76 yards, he had a nice catch by the sideline for a big gain. And it's it's come out that the Jets are really planning on heavily involving Denzel moving forward. So I'm excited to see that. I mean, he's, he's deserved the opportunity to come here and, and get some looks. But I think something that sort of – that, that has now become more notable is Elijah Moore and the NFL traded that on his past. And Elijah Moore is still a New York jet. And it was, it was just confusing to me. I mean, 
whatever you he doesn't dress for that first game after he demands the trade that's fine let him clear his head and if you want to make a statement sure you made it but then for elijah moore to get one target in this entire game that didn't make sense to me like are, are you trying to like cause an issue here i mean like you, you can't com- convince me that tyler conklin could get 10 targets but elijah moore could only get one you just can't make me believe it so unless there's something going on there that is is a little bit more behind the scenes than we know I just, I mean, Elijah Moore is a good player. We've seen it. He's talented. So for me to think that he is getting one target all game now, especially now that we know he's going to be a part of the Jets. I mean, he 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 did not get traded. They Joe Douglas made it clear they were not going to trade him, and they followed through with that. He's on the team here. And Corey Davis is out last week. Corey Davis is going to be out again this week. So when are we going to see the Jets actually make an effort to go get Elijah Moore the football? I mean, I love Garrett Wilson, and we want to keep seeing him. But after him, the next the next best most dynamic playmaker we have is Elijah Moore. So let's go get on the, get on the ball, start scheming some stuff, whether it's screens or just work him, get the ball in his hands and see what happens. And I think the jets got to go out of their way now, especially that the, even the concept of him not being on the jets anymore, at least for this year is done. Like that's it. He's going to be here. You got to get him more involved because it's a combination of he's, he wants more involvement and the jets are going to need him here. We, We need without Brees and now no Corey Davis this week. Like, we need someone to go get the ball in their hands and do something with it. And Elijah, there's not many more guys that I feel confident in doing so than Elijah Moore. Got to get a cucking there between Zach and Elijah. Yeah, you mentioned the full team effort. It's got to come from everybody. You know, if one guy's getting 10 targets and one guy's only getting one, well, you're just not really setting yourself up well for what is really this jet identity of playing football. I feel bad for Elijah Moore at this point. I mean, the postseason, uh, not the postseason, the postgame presser on Sunday. I don't know. I don't get the ball. It's true. <laughs> He's not wrong. Can't be mad at the guy for saying the truth, you know? So it's frustrating. He's a good talent, and, you know, he can really help this team. It's just I'm just kind of confused if that's a political thing that's going on inside the locker room. I, I would hope it's not because the Jets are clearly not uncovering that rock that it is. But, you know, whatever it is needs to be resolved because this guy could be a big game changer with the ball in his hands. Absolutely. And then I guess just the last testament to the defense here. I mean, they had six sacks and an interception. They were everything you could have asked for. And it was ultimately the offense and mainly Zach that was not able to come through in this game. So we'll see. Buffalo, massive game here. Buffalo has not won a division game yet. The only division leader right now that has not won an division game. They lost to the Dolphins earlier in the year. You know, they the Buffalo Bills are very well aware that the Jets are sort of riding a high this season and they're going to want to put a stop to that. They want to assert their dominance. But And that starts with the AFC East, and you know they're always going to be playing up for a division games, and the Bills have been sort of running over everyone that's come in their path so far. So it's going to be a big one. I think it's it's very fair to go into it with the expectation that the Jets are not going to win this game, most likely. But what you're really going to be looking at is how does Zach respond, and how does he how does he look? I think that is going to be the number one takeaway from this. And if it if he goes out there and makes a couple more boneheaded decisions, I think the the, it's only gonna it's only gonna ramp up the 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 pressure and the outside noise. So we we know that he is gonna be locked in, and hopefully he's able to step it up there. I mean, it's funny for a game that was Zach Wilson's career high passing yard, three hundred fifty five and two touchdowns. It's all great until you have the three picks that totally bring down everything that he was doing. So that that's where it weighs at in Jetsland. And anything else you got on the Jets here this week, next week? No, I mean, you're right. It's an unrealistic expectation for the Jets to win. And honestly, yeah, they said it at the end of the broadcast. Zach's numbers were really padded in that game. The three picks should not be overlooked. 
a couple fourth a couple fourth quarter drives yep. that sort of just padded those stats. But the I, men's I think, run on the the catch and run right at the end as well. Yeah, I mean it, it was one of those that we saw the the issues there, and they're going to need to be fixed because if not, there is going to be there's going to be problems, and and you really have to start questioning whether or not Zach is the future franchise quarterback of the New York Jets. But with that, we will move on here. And next on our docket of teams that frustrated me on the New York sports scene is the New York Knicks. And the last time we spoke, we were we were praising the the Knicks good start and taking care of teams that they were supposed to do and how they had an upcoming test coming up with some good teams playing the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Atlanta Hawks, um, teams that are supposed to be contenders and teams that are ones that the Knicks theoretically should be competing with. And it was... In this stretch, they also played the they're, – they're coming up here. They have the Philadelphia 76ers, Boston Celtics, and Minnesota Timberwolves. So more games against teams that should be playoff bound. But it was the it was these two teams specifically that did things in the offseason that the New York Knicks didn't. They went out and traded for proven star talent. The Cleveland Cavaliers, as we know, went out and got Donovan Mitchell. And the Atlanta Hawks made the trade for DeJounte Murray. Two guards coming off all-star appearances that have been – impact players at the NBA level. And the Knicks opted to not go that route. We we hear we heard all offseason about this Trevor Trove of assets the Knicks have, whether it be all these picks and the young talent. And the Knicks are sitting here still in the 2022 season with all of that, not having made made a big move for a star. And I think that is clearly what is holding this Knicks teams back. I mean they are unable to combat another team when they're star has a big game. I mean, we've seen it just in these last two games specifically with Donovan Mitchell and DeJounte Murray, and it hurts even more because those are the two guys that the Knicks actually had a chance of getting. And I think that is going to be a microcosm of what is a lot of frustration for the Knicks this year when playing teams with star power because they're not going to be able to stop it. I mean, you have a guy like Donovan Mitchell drop 38 and absolutely torture you on the offensive side of the ball. And what are the Knicks able to do? They, they don't have a guy that can go out there and match that type production. The Knicks right now are the only team in the NBA without a 20-point score, per, per, a 20-point-per-game score. And that is just what is the biggest issue for the Knicks team in that they lack star power in a league that is driven more than any other sports league by stars. When another team's star is out there dominating you, what do you have to throw back in their face and be like, okay, here's our equalizer? It doesn't exist. It It's not there. And we don't get me wrong. Jalen Brunson is shown he's a nice player. RJ Barrett, we're still waiting for that big fourth year leap that we were hoping to see after the contract extension and the 20 point per game season last year. Julius Randle looks a little bit better than last year, but if they're all good, three goods does not equal a great in the NBA. A great equals a great. And there's no way to match the production of a star if you don't have one. And we saw what stars were able to do next. I mean, DeJounte Murray. 36 points, nine assists, five steals. That is domination on both sides of the court. That is a two-way star impacting the games at every level. And he and it was just like, we already knew the Knicks. Star power has been the name of the game for the Knicks in this last decade that they've had none of it. And it, it was just an extra twist of the knife that it was the two guys that were available this offseason to be had. And they failed to do so. And now you have the 5-3 and three Atlanta Hawks and the 6-1 and one Cleveland Cavaliers reaping the benefits of getting those guys. And unless a star that we don't know is unhappy comes out on the market and the Knicks are able to make the splash room, I don't see how this changes. I think the Knicks have found themselves sort of an NBA purgatory, which is 
they're not good enough to make some serious noise in a postseason run, but they're also not bad enough to bottom out and go get a top five pick where you could actually get that star. This is a team that is destined for, for the middle, destined for mediocrity. This is a team that will probably be fighting for a play-in spot that if they get out of the plan would be a heavy, heavy underdog in any seven-game series. So you sort of feel like right now, unless something changes, this is a Knicks team that's sort of stuck in the middle. And until I get further notice that uh, a player is unhappy and wants to be traded or R.J. Barrett specifically goes out and makes that big leap, I don't see things changing. It's like a business with razor-thin margins. They don't have room for error on this team. It's just that there's no game-changing superstar that you're going to go out and look at the roster and say, oh, this guy is going to be our game changer and he's going to take over a, a basketball game. There's none of that on this Knicks team. And it, it's one thing if your guys are playing all together, but, and you know, you said all threes doesn't really, e- you know, three guys don't equal a one necessarily, but when those three are playing together, you know, there's an opportunity for them to go out and win some basketball games here. Absolutely. But when they're not, even if the slightest thing is off, it all goes off the rails. And the biggest disappointing thing is, you know, what was it, last night or the night before when you're up by 23 and you blow that lead, that is just a detriment to what this New York Knicks basketball team is. It's just one thing goes wrong and it all unravels on you. And it's it's like, it's sad as someone who watches the Knicks, it's like, you know, it's like, okay, you're on this high, you're up by 23, you're feeling good going into the half, you come out, these little things start going wrong and you just know. You just know it's going to fall on your face. I mean, when there there's situations where sometimes when offense gets stagnant and the defense, the opposing team's defense is really locking in, you want to be like, okay, where's that guy? That it doesn't matter what what's going on with the rest of the offense or what's going on with the opposing defense. Our guy is going to find a way to put the ball in the hoop and keep this thing going. And the Knicks just simply do not have that guy. And there's no sport where not having a guy, a true game changer, impacts you more than. Than basketball, we've seen it with the MLB. I mean, Mike Trout, the best player of the, of the generation, never in the playoffs. In the NFL, we've te- we've seen teams with mediocre quarterback play go to Super Bowls. At the NBA, when, when's the last time a team with a top ten player has not won the finals? There, there, it, there is. It just no. doesn't happen. No, it's the the NBA has been dominated. The last decade of NBA basketball has been dominated by like five guys: LeBron, KD, Steph, Kawhi Leonard. I mean, like that's what. Giannis, that's what modern-day NBA is. And and the Knicks are sitting there with three guys that in, in Brunson, Barrett, and Randall that are what? Are, are these guys top 40 players in the NBA? But Jalen Brunson wasn't even thought of a year ago until he got here to the Knicks as like a guy who could be, a you know, not even a game-changer. He's just a guy who's like this part of this little mini three-headed, I won't even call it a monster, just they're, like, they're I don't the, even know what you call it. They're the mid-three. Yeah, the mid. That's a great way to look at it. The mid. Three. Most NBA, most NBA teams strive for a big three. The Knicks have yeah. a mid three. Uh-huh. I mean, Donovan is the high end of things. Like that's probably a top fifteen player in the league. But like, the the, the, the Knicks have a Chris Middleton. Do the Knicks have a, a, a CJ McCollum? I, I'd say the answer is no on both accounts. Like the, the the Knicks don't have probably a top fifty player in the NBA. And like you said, when things are going. This is a team that can win games. I mean, they're not going to, like I said, part of the issue here is that this team is good enough to probably not totally bottom out and get you a really high draft back. I mean, they're three and one at home, three and four on the season, and they're going to take care of the bad teams. And like we saw with the, like we saw with the Grizzlies on opening night, and like we saw with the cat, with the Hawks, at least through half, 
is that they could play with the good teams. Like it's not like they're going to totally go out there and get embarrassed by them. I mean, I mean, we saw in Milwaukee that that's a team that sort of handled them with no problem. I'm sure when they run into teams like Boston and Golden State, it might be a similar outcome. But this is going to be a competitive team that's sort of going to find themselves in the middle at every given turn. And that in the NBA does not get you anywhere. That's actually the worst place to be. So it, it's it's not it's not looking great for the Knicks here. I mean, all eyes got to be on RJ and just every Knicks fan has got to be crossing their fingers and praying, please, please be the guy. Please show signs that you could be at least a star. And then you could worry about getting that superstar at a later date. But at least give us a star. I mean, the Knicks have been the Knicks have been lacking that type presence for as long as I've been a Knicks fan. I mean, Carmelo, but like that's that's really it. And the Knicks really and the Knicks never got to a conference finals with Melo. So it, it's it's not great. Their upcoming schedule, like I said, Philadelphia coming up, Minnesota coming up, Boston coming up. The stretch is not getting any easier. Who knows? Knicks could turn it around here and 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 sort of show it to us that like like you said, when all things are clicking. This team could do something, but I have a hard time believing that the Knicks are going to be able to take care of the premier talents in the NBA until until something changes. And 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 right now it just sort of feels that they're going to keep throwing out there this team that is average. And it's sad and funny at the same time because the two guys that you mentioned that were available, Donovan Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell and uh, Devontae Murray, they clearly love playing at the Garden. Like Donovan Mitchell definitely loves playing at the Garden. He's you know from here. And, you know, Devontae Murray dropped 36, and Mitchell drops 38. People love playing at the Garden. It's a great organization to play for. But the Knicks don't make any moves. I don't know. I, like, you, you mentioned it. We haven't had a superstar. Carmelo Anthony was great. Don't get me wrong. It's great. There's nothing n- nothing that Carmelo did was like, wow. Like, you know, it just didn't go right for Melo. No, Melo did everything he could because he was a one-man show. I mean, th- this, this Knicks team is trying to – the mid three, which I love, by the way, is is not a show to put on. That is not a premier thing to promote at Madison Square Garden. It's not. There, where's this, the guy? Those guys are the great structure of a team that then goes in and gets the star that right. puts them over the top. Like guys like Jalen Bronson and RJ Barrett. Those are don't get me wrong. Those are legitimate contributors on a team that can win the NBA championship. But yeah. those but those can't be your one and two guys. Now you go in and you like. Let's just say hypothetically. Obviously, we don't know. The Knicks might have had to give up RJ in a Donovan trade, but let's say you just plug Donovan on this on this Knicks team. Just drop him right in, and Donovan Mitchell's your guy who's out there having a career year right now. Should I say in Cleveland, averaging over thirty a night? He's your top dog, and then you have Jalen Brunson, and then RJ. It just pushes everyone down on the ladder to the point where okay, now you have an actual arsenal of weapons here. It's sort of like it's like with all the great teams, like. Like Golden State last year, they could have got you from many ways. It was Staff, it was Clay, it was Poole, it was Wiggins. With Milwaukee, we see we see it with Giannis and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday and and Brooke Lopez could go out there and dominate you on a given night. Like the Knicks sort of just have you, you gotta have that top guy in order to make the rest your the the secondary pieces. And the Knicks have just they don't have that top guy. And I don't see anything changing until they get him. And I don't know where it's gonna come from. Because right now there's no big star that wants out. And none of the players on the Knicks look like they're going to take that step to stardom. And the Knicks draft pick is probably going to be fringing on the lottery. So it's not like you're going to have that surefire home run draft pick coming up. So I don't know. I don't know when it's going to happen. It's not like this Knicks season is going to be just a total wash. I mean, they're going to play some good basketball here and there. And they're going to play the occasion you get that big win against that big team that you don't see coming. And they're going to take care of the bad teams. And and they'll be in the midst for a play-in team. And who knows? Maybe they, they escape the play-in tournament somehow. Anything could happen in a one-game scenario. But I, I lack to see the 
the end game here. I I don't see the upside, the ceiling of a Knicks team that actually goes on and makes some serious noise in the season. So that's disappointing. But I, I guess all you could do right now is wait. This, this is a waiting game. We just gotta we just gotta keep seeing what happens. And and I think something. Let's let's not totally dismiss. I, I don't think Tom Thibodeau's job is completely one hundred percent safe. Let's let's leave it at that. I don't think he's on the hot seat per se, but I don't think Tom Thibodeau is in this surefire. Like he's guaranteed to see out the year type situation. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, especially after last year, that kind of makes the situation where it is right now. If it's two years consecutively, like they can't prove anything with this roster. I think after what Tibbs did in the COVID shortened season, it might be time to move on. And maybe, I don't know. You know, guys like playing for Tibbs. I think Tibbs is one of those guys, though, where the NBA is starting to change into this new style game, and Tibbs has been around for a long time, and maybe his style just doesn't resonate here. Who knows? But, you know, he could definitely change it in one in one flip of the switch. But right now, yeah, I agree with you. It's definitely not safe. He's definitely not on the hot seat. It's still early. You know, who knows yeah. what will happen? I'm interested to see how it plays out for the Knicks. It's just a shame that things have sort of went exactly to what we thought this Knicks team was. They're gonna, they're they're better than the bad teams, but they're not as good as the great teams, and they're just stuck in that middle ground. Which is, I mean, we keep saying it; it's not where you want to be in basketball. So, we'll we'll see. It'd be nice if the Knicks could at least go out there. I mean, originally there was a when the MSG, the the Knicks MSG Twitter account tweeted it was a next next five games at Cleveland versus Atlanta at Philadelphia versus Boston at Minnesota. How many wins do they take? And I tweeted five playoff bound teams coming up. You're fine taking two, but three would make this a success. And so far they're over two. So I think the odds of them rattling off three in a row here against these teams with two of them on the road is pretty unlikely to make the success. But could they salvage this? Can you somehow take two out of three? The 76ers just lost James Harden for a month. That game just becomes more winnable. The Timberwolves have not clicked as well as we thought they might have this early. So maybe there is a window here to go in and steal a couple games. And and I mean, I'm not going to eat my words. This is how I feel about this next team. And I think over the long run, that will prove to be true. But could they at least give you something to hold your hat on that they were able to take care of a couple of these teams? I think that would be nice for them to salvage this stress. But I don't have a reason to believe why they would. I mean, at this point, you want them to take one of these next three. So that's the upcoming stretch of the Knicks. That is where they sit. And I think you got to just really not hold out hope for something to change for the Knicks long term. Outlook to change, but on the day in the day out, they're going to be a competitive team. There's no denying that they're not. They, they won't get rolled over for the most part. But you, if you're if you're dreaming of Knicks playing in high level playoff basketball games, I think you got to take a step back on that for the time being. So that's where we leave it with the Knicks. Then the last team here that we haven't hit on yet is it's the Giants, and I don't think there's a lot to really go into here. I mean, they lost to the Seattle Seahawks on the road. I mean, this is a we. We were not, by no means, we were not overlooking the Seahawks. This is a team that's been playing really well this year. Seattle's a tough place to play, and it almost felt like the Giants were due for one of these games where they've been pulling out close game after close game. Eventually, they were going to get got, and and they did here. I mean, I don't know what really there is to to dive into here. Geno, Geno did what he did, and Tyra Lockett had, had a nice game. Daniel Jones, again, didn't really turn it over, but he didn't. I guess he didn't do as much as he's done. The real difference there was on the ground. Jones only had six carries for 20 yards, whereas Jones has been making a way bigger impact with his legs in other games. But I don't know. I mean, I don't think there's that much to dive into here other than this was going to happen eventually, and the Giants are still 6-2. and two. I think the biggest issue you could probably have out of this week in Giant land is that they didn't go out and trade for a wide receiver. They traded Kadarius Tony. Kenny Gallaudet has been a nothing. They've been sort of relying on 
Darius Slayton and Wandel Ro- and the rookie Wandel Robinson, there was rumors that they were interested in guys like Jerry Judy and Brandon Cooks. That didn't happen. I'm not going to hammer the Giants for not trading draft picks for a receiver. In reality, this is a team that no one expected to be here. So I don't blame them for keeping a long-term look on this team and saying, let's hold on to our draft capital. There's no need to go all in on a year that took us by total surprise. But if you have anything to be, I guess, upset about this week, it would have been nice to bring in a weapon. But for the most part, I- I'm not looking too de- deep into this weekend for the Giants. No, not at all. you got a bye week this week coming up. Um, you know, Seattle's a really good defense. Giants only had 225 total yards in the game. Seattle's a good defense. You give them credit. The real blunder in the game, um, uh, two of them came from one guy, and that was Richie James. And if you're going to blame Richie James for why you lost the game, okay. But let's be realistic here. Is Richie James really supposed to be in this situation? No. Not at all. So, you know, for Giants fans to get pissed off at Richie James, sure, understand it, great. If he catches those two balls, maybe the game changes in a way and you win the game and you're 7-1. and one. But let's have a little credit here to what the Giants have done. They're 6-2. and two. They went into a hard place to play. Geno Smith was playing well. Daniel Jones, no interceptions, but by no means was really good. 17 of 31, you know, okay. Um, but a couple yeah. drops, a couple big drops yeah. by Seattle receivers. That could, This game could have been even worse. I oh, mean, yeah. they you know, do some balls that should have been caught, but. Yeah. And, and, you know, the Giants were due for a stinker. So, you know, you, you go into the bye week, you let that reset, let Brian Dayball do his thing. And you come out, you got winnable games coming up. You know, Detroit's coming up. Uh, you know, I know the commanders are coming up as well. They've been hot though. They've won three in a row. So those are two winnable games, especially that Detroit game. And we'll see what happens. There's not really much to touch on there, except, you know, they needed somewhat of a, of a reality check. I think the fans needed somewhat of a reality check. Now you go into the bye week and just reset everything. Turn the page. Keep it rolling. Things are good in giant land. I, I think it was clear that in Joe Shane's comments, he is viewing this as still something that needs to be built up. And although, again, it would have been a, bit, a nice locker room morale and fan base boost if they went out and go got a, got a Jerry Judy. But what we saw, the going price for was for a young, somewhat proven receiver and a guy like Chase Claypool being a, an early second-round pick, I, I I don't think that would have been a good decision by the Giants to go up and give a, a pick that could be in the in the 30s for a guy like... I mean, I guess in the Giants' case, they, they've already won enough games. Like, in the a pick in the 40s or 50s for Jerry Jude, that might not have made the most sense. So I, I think the Giants just keep going what they have. They're sort of playing with house money this year, and and I think the expectation still remains the same. You, you This is a team that it would be a big building block stop to make the postseason. I don't think anyone has them going in and going into Dallas and winning a playoff game. But if this team just made the playoffs, that would be a win in its own right. So the Giants sort of had what was coming eventually for them, and and you don't look too much into it. So that's where we with the Giants. But the NFL as a whole just had a pretty awesome trade deadline. I feel like, I mean, the NBA obviously has a bonkers trade deadline, and, and the MLB has a big one too. The NFL has always been a more calm, tame deadline where big players are typically not moved. But it was active this year. It was fun. It was nice to see some actual impact players moved at the deadline. So, I mean, none of them were regards to the Jets or Giants, but we we like to touch on league-wide stories here. And I think this trade deadline was notable enough to really, I'll, I'll give it a quick run through. I mean, I'm not going to go crazy here, but touch on the big trades. You had TJ Hawkinson traded from the Lions to the Vikings. I mean, an interdivision trade of, of a starting offensive weapon. That, that was interesting. The Lions add some draft capital. They now have stockpiled more and more picks for this upcoming draft. And at the end of the day, Hawkinson's a free agent at the end of next year. And is he enough of a game-changing tight end to make it worth paying? If you're the Lions, probably not. 
The Vikings are off to a great start this year. Add another weapon for Kirk Cousins. You put him out there with Thielen. You put him out there with Jefferson. I, I think this is one of those trades that made sense for both sides. The the Lions now, that that definitely opens up a window for when Jamison Williams finally gets back on the field. Him and Amon Ross St. Brown are the queer one and two targets in this Lions offense. And and they, and they keep stockpiling draft picks for a draft where they're going to keep trying to build. I mean, th- this offense is sort of in a spot where it's it's ready to rock here. You got Jamison Williams and you got Amon Ra. You got DeAndre Swift. You're going to take your QB with your top five pick. It's where now where you're, all these extra draft picks are going to come in is helping build up that defense, which is an absolute joke. So you, at that point, what, what means more to you? One, one and a half more years of a solid tight end that you're going to have to pay or a draft pick that can help build up your defense? It was a clear decision, solid trade on both sides. Thoughts on that? Absolutely. No, you're dead on. I like the tweet that you put out. It's nothing huge that the Lions are really losing here. Honestly, it's a nice piece for the Vikings who are in a position where they're trying to make the playoffs right now. Um, But yeah, you're right. This Lions defense is absolutely atrocious. They have to find ways to make it better. And the only way they're going to do that is through the draft. And the Lions offense, I think, is is spectacular. It can be spectacular when it's on. And, you know, you're right. You're going to go draft a quarterback with your top five pick. You'll probably get another guy in the mid rounds as well. You stock up on the draft capital. It's a good trade on both sides. There, there's nothing nothing else to touch on it but that. It's, and it's exciting to see that Kirk Cousins has another weapon. Yeah. He's already Vikings. got plenty. <laughs> they're, they're off to a great start. Got to yeah. love what they're doing down there in Minnesota, looking to take that division by storm. The next trade was probably my favorite. Chase Claypool goes from the Pittsburgh Steelers to the Chicago Bears. And like I just mentioned, that the – the Steelers got back the Bears' second-round pick, not the Ravens' one that they required in the Roquan Smith trade. But this is all about Justin Fields. Justin Fields in year two, I mean, I would say more so than any of the 2021 rookie quarterbacks, has come on here and actually taken a nice step in the right direction. He looks really good. He looks more confident in his arm. We obviously know how good he is with his legs. And the Steelers get a guy that is a big bodied receiver that Justin Justin Fields could leverage to use on some big plays using the red zone. And I really like the bears actually taking a step. I think they got a lot of criticism from not taking a receiver in this past NFL draft. That seemed like a surefire spot to go out there and get Justin Fields a weapon. But at the end of the day, the Steelers move forward here with Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. They still have a solid wide receiver duo there, but it was the bears going out and getting, it was enough of Justin Fields having to live off Darnell Mooney. Now you could push off Darnell Mooney into the number two role, and Chase Claypool could sort of be more your alpha, and I'd still expect the Bears to go out there and take a receiver early in the NFL draft this upcoming year, and all of a sudden you've got Justin Fields something to work with. And what's this all about for the Bears? This is about Justin Fields. This is about progressing him forward, and he's actually giving you reason to feel confident, so I like them taking action and not letting him play out this year without a big weapon. Go out and get it now, so then by next year and you add in that third guy in the draft, you're actually cooking. So I love this for Fields. The Steelers, they already had two solid receivers, so they didn't really need Claypool. They drafted Claypool's replacement when they took George Pickens in the second round this year anyway. So I think this is another deal that made sense for both sides, but I'm just more excited about what the Bears are doing to surround Justin Fields with some talent. I mean, you're dead on with what I wanted to say. It's a testament to the way Justin Fields has played, and it's great to see an organization invest in a second-year guy. And there's, like you mentioned, the outlook of – you know, using the draft to get another wide receiver. They had, the Bears have a plan here. And I think getting Chase Play- Claypool was a little bit of a shock to the league, but at the same point, you kind of realize it's like, okay, obviously he was going somewhere, right? He wasn't going to stay with Pittsburgh. And 
you know, the Bears stocked up on a guy who can be a big force for, for Justin Fields. So you said everything that I wanted to say, really. Good on the Bears for making that move. Now, apparently, the Packers also offered their second-round pick. The Packers, as we know, are in desperate need of wide receiver help. And I think that is clearly where it came to. The Bears were like, okay, if we offer the Ravens pick that we got in the Roquan deal, that's probably not a more appealing pick than the Packers pick. But our second-round pick is, and that's probably what ended up getting this deal done. So good for the Bears. I couldn't agree more. Invest in your young quarterback. That's what it's about. So good on them. Then the next deal, this was probably from an impact standpoint, probably the biggest deal made, and that was Bradley Chubb to the Miami Dolphins. Uh, a young pass rusher that is, that I mean, we, we know how important defensive ends are, and the Dolphins' defense need a little bit of help, and the, the Dolphins have clearly shown that they're all in. They trade for Tyreek Tyree Hill in the offseason. They bring in Bradley Chubb here at the trade deadline. That is two impact players at premium positions on both sides of the ball, and the Broncos are actually able to net a first-round pick the, the Broncos desperately obviously could use that draft capital considering they just gave it all up to get Russell Wilson. So if you're the Broncos and you didn't really want to give Bradley Chubb that huge contract that you know good defensive ends get, it it's another one that made sense. The Dolphins are all in on this year. This is a team now with some huge expectations and they, they help their defense. The Broncos bring back some draft capital. They obviously just committed. They committed a huge contract to Randy Gregory in the offseason anyway. So it's not like they're totally without a good veteran pass rusher. So I, I like this deal. I think, again, it's one that served both sides and sort of speaks to the directions that they're going in. The Dolphins, they already locked up Bradley Chubb. They gave him a five-year, $119 million contract extension with just over $63 million of it guaranteed. So they obviously knew if we're going to give a first-round pick for this guy, we're going to want to keep him around, and, they already, and they've already done so. So I think that just further justifies giving up that, that first-round pick serious, like, like that's that's an impactful draft pick, and the Dolphins go out there and help their team this year while also keeping them around long term. I like it. The Dolphins I, again, believe, like that's something that the should. Dolphins that that they needed to do. Like they believe in what they have. You know, Tyree getting Tyree Hill was kind of that turning point when you're like, okay, like this is starting to be an organization where no more mediocrity is going to take place. And you kind of saw that trending over the last you know handful of years, but now it's for real for the Dolphins. They are legit competitors in, in this division. They want to be considered. I mean, they, they won't be yet in the class of the Chiefs and the Bills, but they undeniably have the talent and the personnel to be able to put themselves in that class. So I think that was another great move. Those are just those are probably the three most notable trades of the deadline and a deadline that actually gave some excitement to football fans. So I think I definitely want to touch on that. And with that, let's do what has been an interesting ride for me specifically, the no plane pick segment. I cannot hit a three-point pick if my life depended on it. The two and one point pick, rattle them off. We're cooking. It's the three point pick that has just been killing me. And it's sort of like the reverse where you always hit your three point pick and it's, you're not as good with your waiter picks. But at the end of the day, this is about hitting the high point picks. And that is what's helping you here in this, in the standings. So, I mean, it's right now you further extended your lead with another solid week. And we move in here now into week nine already of the NFL season. It's flying. It always does. But it's it's getting into that point of the season where now, if, if Harris, you continue to extend your lead, you currently lead 26-20 after hitting two of your three picks last week with three and two. I hit two of my three as well, but it was my two and one point pick. Jets plus two and a half really dug it in there. Just the, as, if, as if it wasn't bad enough to have to deal with that as a fan. The the no point pick segment, I had to eat that too. So Harris, we, we're already running. We're running a little late here. Let's get right into it. Let's hear your picks for this week, week nine NFL. 
Yeah, so last week I went conservative. This week I'm more on the end of what I'm usually uh, expected to do. And all teams I'm picking on the road. Three-point pick. I'm going Cincinnati Bengals at minus seven at Carolina. Uh, Obviously, Panthers are struggling. Bengals, I think that's an easy one to cover. Um, Two-point pick. I don't trust the Buccaneers. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in Bucks land that I don't like. So Rams plus three at Tampa Bay is my two-point pick. My one-point pick, I think the Seahawks are going to ride that wave over a good win over the Giants, plus one and a half on the road against the Arizona Cardinals. I like it. Road teams, you took took a little bit of risk there. That's always that's always tough playing the spread, but I like your logic. Your logic behind all of them. I mean, well, well, the, well, the Bengals are at home. Right? Oh, are they? No, I thought they were on the road. I could have made that mistake. I could be wrong. Yeah, so the Bengals are at home, Seattle's on the road, and the Rams are on the road. So two of the three on the road definitely makes you feel a little bit better with the, your three-point pick being being a home team against a team with the Panthers. But it's actually nice because this week we have zero layover. That definitely makes things more interesting when that that, like, that opens it up for me here now with a total swing of things. We could if if I run the table and you and you miss out, it's a tie game again. So that that's big for me, knowing that we don't have any carryover there because I don't like reacting to to your picks. If it's I like to stay strong with what I have, even if there's some carryover, I'm I'm not trying to play it like that. But for this week, we have three totally different teams. So I will start here with my three point pick, and that is the Baltimore Ravens minus two and a half at the New Orleans Saints on Monday Night Football. The, the Saints have been very disappointing this year. They just put Michael Thomas on the IR. And the Ravens have sort of p- been picking up steam here. They had Roquan Smith. I know they lost Rashad Bateman for the year, but it's not like Rashad Bateman was really doing much anyway. So as long as Mark Andrews is healthy and they're able to get Roquan Smith on the field this week, I think two and a half win by a field goal. I know it's on the road, but the Ravens are really strong. We know how I feel about them. So I'm rolling with them for my three-point pick. Dolphins are my two-point pick. Minus four and a half. I think they should be able to, again, riding the high of getting Bradley Chubb, getting Jeff Wilson to go in that running back room with Raheem Mostert. I mean, they're at Chicago. So this is a team that I just praised for getting Chase Claypool. But I think at the end of the day, as much as I like what Chicago is doing, the Dolphins are a different tier. That's an all-in caliber club. So I'm going with the Dolphins minus four and a half at my two-point pick. And then lastly, this one might come as a little bit of a shock, but I'm going to go with the Titans here. I know they're at Kansas City. But 11 and a half is a big point spread. And I feel like the Titans always play them tough. That's a solid team. The Titans are not, I don't expect them to win the game by any stretch, but like 11 and a half is a lot for a team that I think could, if if Tennessee's going right, they're going to dominate the clock. They're going to use Derrick Henry to really run the ball. And I think they might be able to keep this thing within reach. But I'm moving that as my one point pick because on the off chance that the Chiefs just do what they do and blow them out, it won't hurt me too much. So that is the no point pick segment for week nine in the NFL. What an episode. I mean, there was I knew there was gonna be a lot to dive into. And I'm glad we were able to get it all in there, hopefully in a, a queer and concise way. So that's all we have for you on this episode of the No Plain Views podcast. We appreciate your guys' support. We're looking forward to another great week of New York sports. And with that, I am Brandon Mintz. And I'm Harris Eisenberg. New York sports continue to heat up, and thank you for listening to No Plain Views.